Hey guys, I have a question for you. How do you spread abundance? This year, Joe and I are spreading even more abundance by giving out insights on money, wealth strategies, and resources in our current newsletter, Creating Abundance in 52 Weeks, that we want to share with you for free. So sign up right now as you're listening to this episode on our website at www.abundantculture.co. That's .co slash newsletter, www.abundantculture.co slash newsletter. Don't let delay get in the way of your abundant year. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back to Abundant Culture Podcast. Where we dissect the mindsets and tactics of the true beast of business. People like Gary V, Grant Cardone, and Warren Buffett. All to create a blueprint to experience life more abundantly. Hey everybody, it's Joe from Abundant Culture. At our company, we know how important it is to share your journey with confidence in order to grow your business and influence. But this can be something that can be very intimidating, especially in front of large crowds or even on TV. Today, we're going to speak to someone who might be able to alleviate that fear a little bit for you. Today's guest is going to talk about her journey from W-2 to financial advisor, independent financial advisor, to publisher and author, and how to handle the ups and downs that comes with so many career changes, and how to share your unique journey and story with people in a powerful way, even if you just so happen to be a little introverted like I was. So get ready to listen to and learn from our good friend, Rebecca Hallgruder. So hi, Rebecca, and thank you for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We are super excited to have you because when we talked a couple weeks ago, we were like amazed and excited about everything you were talking about, like in the book industry, because we didn't have any knowledge of it at all. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there thinking about writing a book or um, maybe they are writing a book and they just need a little bit of help. But before we get into all of that, can you tell us your story? Like, how did you get into business and why did you get into business? Absolutely. So thank you both for having me here today. I'm just thrilled and honored to be here and excited for the conversation and very happy to share some of my journey with you. And like many of us, we may have a long journey, so I want to choose highlights (laughs) from the journey um, to kind of share my core why, and then I can fast forward into stepping into the business that we're in today. So when I look back to why I believe it's so important that people share their messages, why I think it's important as they do that, that they're visible, is because I grew up in a very unsafe childhood. When I cried out for help, it wasn't believed. I was put back in that environment and it would become more severe. So I learned very early that it wasn't safe to be seen or heard, that there was something wrong with me, was my fault. I was not okay. And to just smile really big and act like everything was okay while striving to stay below the radar and not be seen or heard. And I needed that to survive. But eventually I was rescued, for which I'm very, very grateful for. And I got to go on a healing journey. And as I did that, I discovered that what I had believed were actually lies. They no longer applied to my life, that it wasn't my fault, that I was okay, that it is safe to be seen and heard. It is absolutely necessary that we are and that we're willing to share. But that part was the hardest, hardest part of my journey because on a cellular level, I was programmed to not be seen, to not share my voice. When I would stand up in class and try to share my name or speak to three or more people, I would start to shake my face would turn purple. I go right to purple. There's no red for me. It's right purple. So I would turn purple. I'd lose all my words. My throat would start to close down. And then I'd have to like sit the rest of the time and just kind of recover because it would trigger all of that for me on a cellular level. But I really wanted to connect with people. I really wanted to um, be able to make a positive difference because I saw the negative impact people could have. And I thought, what if we could harness that for good? 
What if we could have that same, even a fraction of that impact for generations to come? That's the kind of story I want to live. That's the life I want to live. So I got help. I got support. I learned how to stand up in front of others and share my message. I learned how to connect, that it was okay to feel the fear. And it was okay to be imperfect. And I learned that along the way because it's much more about connection than perfection. And here's what I discovered about visibility. Because I was so, I had a heart that wanted to make a difference, but I was so afraid to lead that cause, right? I wanted people just to know that they mattered, that they were beautifully and wonderfully made, that they were needed in this world just by osmosis or by interacting with me. Somehow they would get that message by walking by. Mm -hmm. And I finally realized in order to reach them, I have to be visible. I have to be willing to share my message in writing, in speaking, wherever my people are that need to hear it, I need to be willing to go and to find a way to reach them. So I discovered visibility. It's when people are hurting, it's like this big, dark, thick pea soup fog comes down. If you can imagine like a lighthouse and the fog. (laughs) And when, when that happens, it's like people are just trying to breathe. Can I breathe? Can I stand? Okay, can I take another breath? They can't hear the voices. They don't remember who to contact. They don't even know what to ask for her help. They're just trying to see, can I survive? Yeah. And the only thing I know that cuts through darkness is light. And we need to be that lighthouse. We need to shine so brightly that we cut through that darkness and reach the people who need us most. And that's why I believe visibility is so important and needs to be consistent. And we need to reach out, not wait for them to discover us, but reach out to the people who need us most. Absolutely. Yes. That's a beautiful story. Um, And I appreciate the emphasis that you put on the importance of being visible because um, as an entrepreneur, like, you know, my, in the beginning, my whole goal was to, you know, figure out a way to make money. Um, and what it took me forever to realize, for whatever reason, is money comes from other people. So if I don't talk to other people, there's like really no way I could really make that happen. Um, and it's so, so important being visible. And I think for really entrepreneurs or honestly anybody, you know, in order for you to receive a lot of the blessings that life have for you, you have to be visible to the people that those blessings are going to come through. So I really appreciate your emphasis on that because I feel like that's something that's really, really underrated, especially in most people's first one to three years uh, being in business. So can you shed a little bit of light on how, your journey into publishing kind of came to fruition and like, you know, is that something that you like studied in school or is this something that you found, you know, after you were already in corporate America for a while? Like, how did that happen? Sure, sure. Um, So no, I did not study in school. (laughs) It was not on my radar. I've, I've been an avid reader all my life. I love reading. I love books. So that's a personal passion of mine. Um, But I actually went, um, to college, I graduated, I um, studied business, and I went into human resources, and I worked for a number of different companies from nonprofits to for-profit organizations. And in that role, um, I watched how financial advisors would come in and their voice would be listened to in a different way than sometimes my voice was listened to. I felt like I became this cost center and person that was putting out fires, but I wasn't getting to prevent them. And I watched the financial advisors come in and they were able to shift how finances were working with the company and their voice was listened to. And I thought, well, I want to do that. I want to empower other HR people. I want to empower organizations to navigate those waters around money. That's exciting to me. So I stepped into that field a little bit naively. I had no idea all the licenses and things that you need to get. Um, So I was kind of shocked, you know, when I moved over, like, oh, I have to do all of that on my own time (laughs) and and what time frame? Um, And fortunately, I did, and I loved it, you know, because there's a risk there. And had amazing training by a number of powerful organizations in the corporate world, 
which I'm very grateful for. And I got to work with startup companies to Fortune 500 companies, their leadership teams, their employees. But as I continued in the corporate world, what I found is the higher up I rose, the larger my territory became. And I don't know that there was that level of support that necessarily came in. And I didn't get to choose always who my clients were. I didn't get to say yes or no. Um, I had to follow corporate policy, which is is fine. And that's how an organization runs. But it started to um, wear on me. And I got burned out. And I remember calling my dad at one point, just saying, this is terrible. I, I don't care anymore. I'm always on a plane. I'm working 18 hour days. Um, I just, I just don't care anymore. I'm just going to go leave everything. I don't care about my licenses. I'm going to go save animals because I love animals. I do too. <laughs> we both goes, love money and animals. It's awesome. Uh, see, see, there's so many connections. I yeah. love it. <laughs> and so he goes, Rebecca, and he gave me really great advice. He goes, Rebecca, it's not all or nothing. You can leverage off of this amazing skill set you have and build something you love. Why don't you step into having your own practice? Why don't you step into that? And I had all the I don't know hows, that's not what I do, all these reasons not to. But the more I sat with it, the more I couldn't let go of that, that pull at my heart. And what if I could choose my own clients? What if I could build and promise the services I felt like would serve them the most? What if I could do that? In fact, how can I not do that? It became that. So I left my position, I resigned, and I moved over to starting my own practice. And I remember the first six months, the first month, it was a little bit of shock and then all this freedom and I was so excited, but I also had an ego that I had to work through because I had been top in my field. I had been all of these things that companies had looked to. I was the youngest AVP with signing authority. Like I had all these in my own home, like all these things, right? So I felt like I was an expert, which I was, but I wasn't an expert in running my own business (laughs) and learning how to do that. So I wasn't coachable. And there's nothing like running your own business to come to the end of yourself. Very quickly, six months in, mm-hmm. I, I hit that wall. No matter, I had all kinds of amazing people reach out, offering to help, but I knew better. I knew how I, I would figure it out. And finally, I, I realized I wasn't figuring it out. I don't know. And I called Dan again. <laughs> and he goes, yes, Rebecca who I love, how can I help you? Because he could tell that tone of my voice. I said, this is terrible. This is all your fault. I've never worked so hard in my life and to earn so little. This isn't working. I can't believe you advised me to do this and and just kind of went on for a while. I don't know if anyone um, you know, watching has ever hit that moment, but I did. And I talked with him and he says, Rebecca, again, good advice. My dad's a very wise man, which is yeah. one of the reasons I know I can call him with these types of things. He goes, Rebecca, welcome to the life of an entrepreneur. You get to work half days. Do you want to work the first 12 or the last 12? You choose. <laughs> and he, and I, which didn't feel good at the moment. I said, dad, he goes, he goes Rebecca, you get to earn what you're worth which I really didn't like hearing at her because he goes, and Rebecca, I know you're worth more than this. Go earn what you're worth. Build it. Learn how. I know you can do this and know that you're worth more than this. Build it. Figure it out. That's amazing. Yeah. And within six months from that point, it became so coachable. I was, I hired coaches. I got support. I, the ego was gone. I knew I, I didn't know so many things that were, that were needed. So I found people that were successful in the industry, found people that I could learn from, and I became a sponge. And within six months, no matter all the amazing hardships that were faced, that were all great reasons not to, I used them as fuel too. I decided to do things that that were hard for me. I was going to get up at 4 a.m. and I did that, but I wasn't going to do it for more than a year. So I made agreements with myself for one year. I will work and I'll get up at 4 a.m. because at a certain point in the day, I felt like I was losing control. So I need to make sure those critical things get done. I'll work every Saturday for one year. 
but I won't do that beyond that. Then I'll, I'll choose. And yeah. so when I was able to realize it's not all or nothing, that I can make agreements as I go along, it created the pathway. And I ended up becoming, um, I, I hit all these awards in my field and all of these different things that happened with that in the financial field. But it took that shift, becoming coachable and learning what I didn't know to bring the business forward about marketing, um, how to balance marketing and servicing clients, sales funnels, marketing, networking, all those things that you didn't necessarily have to do in the corporate world. Absolutely. So when you were uh, had your own practice, you were in the financial industry. Exactly what mm -hmm. aspect of the financial industry like were you doing? Where was it like bookkeeping, accounting? Was it like what what? was your, I guess, your job description in that? Sure. I was um, a registered advisor. And so I would work in all areas from insurance to investing oh, okay. to long-term care planning. Um, I worked with companies in their pension plans, 401ks, 403bs, uh, the retirement planning, and then individuals and kind of bringing it all together so they could get from where they were to where they wanted to go. But my favorite part was the journey that people got to go on when they became empowered around their money. And I know we've talked about that before that, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, there's, I found, and this was a, a shock for me coming from corporate working with companies that companies would hire you as a consultant or an advisor and they would do what you advise them to do. And I found when I worked with individuals and families, they would nod, but they wouldn't necessarily <laughs> do what was advised yeah and and i learned that it's because it was my plan and not theirs and they needed to be more of that process and really honoring um helping them become empowered in their relationship with money was so key so i really loved that part and seeing them step into owning their plan and if i ever got hit by a bus i wanted them to know where the plan was going and be able to lead it forward because i may not always be part of their life and that's the one thing when i did retire from the industry and um sold my practice and the new advisor took over who was amazing he asked me where did you get all these amazing clients they're they're calling me ready to take the next step they want me to run a report they're ahead of schedule and I just smiled because they used to be so fearful of money those are choices and decisions they made and I got to walk beside them on the journey that is awesome that, yeah that's amazing your whole story is really amazing actually <laughs> and I wanted to touch on um the the ego part because you mentioned that you have to let go of your ego and last year, Joe and I, like, we were studying ego, like, in depth and really learning, like, what it is, um, how to let go of it, how to even recognize it, what the healthy limits of the ego are. Yeah. Um, so I just love that you brought that up because in entrepreneurship, you absolutely have to let go of your ego. Like, there's just, there's no room, there's no room for it. <laughs> Exactly. And uh, exactly. And it's so interesting because if we look at, I used to see this with advisors that I would work with or train or um, even in the industry that I'm in now, um, I do think it takes a level of confidence in ourselves as um, experts in what we're doing and belief in our vision. So we need to have an ego in that place and we need to be committed to our vision and to bringing it forward, but we have to be coachable too. And that's the piece that I think um, gets in the way sometimes that we are so confident in that one space. We're not always listening. We're not always seeing our blind spots. We're not always looking at where we need to grow to bring that vision forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a good way I do it, and I, I don't think I ever really talk too much about ego on the podcast, but um, one thing I told Jasmine that I always try to do, and this would be something that's, you know, for my listeners who's planning on starting a business or maybe they're in the business and they just want to get further. Every time I talk to an individual, I always ask myself, uh, do I need to be the teacher or the student in this conversation? And the way I would kind of assess that is, um, does this person have expertise, knowledge, experiences that I don't have? If that's the case, and they didn't verbally ask for Joseph, I need your help. I try to be the student as much as possible because what 
I saw that happens is when you're a student more than you are a teacher, you end up growing at a rate where the people that used to teach you, you can now teach them as well. So I feel like try to be a student in your life more times than you actually try to be a student. And that's something that just always works for me. I just try to be curious, ask questions, learn as much as possible, whether the person is older or younger than me. And then I, I always see in, uh, situations where somebody will ask me a question. And if they ask me a question, then I know that's my calling to be a teacher in that moment. So I Beautiful. feel like that's a really good way of, um, you know, really setting that ego aside and really determining, all right, am I learning or am I teaching? And which one am I, you know, doing in, you know, different areas of my life and, you know, at different times. I love that. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, another thing I was uh, wondering is, so um, when you were in the financial industry, how did you get these individuals, these families to really get out of their own way at times and uh, execute the plans that they need in order to uh, move forward. Because uh, right now, me and Jasmine are kind of like doing this wealth coaching thing, and we're fairly new at it. We got some clients, but there's some clients where it's like they'll call me every single week and will not stop until they they uh, meet their goals. And I love those clients. And then there's some clients that they're it's like they'll pay me, you know. And, and then sometimes they they don't necessarily do the things that they need. And it's like, yeah, I got paid, but I could get paid so much more if I can get you some results and then use your testimonial in order, you know, you know, in my marketing in order to get more customers. So how did you do that? Because sometimes I feel like I hit it, hit the nail right on the head and then sometimes I miss it and I don't really know how to predict that. And I feel like that might help with some of our other entrepreneurs as well. Sure. And it's a similar conversation I actually have with authors as well. So it's asking people what money means to them. So I would ask them in the publishing world, what does this book mean to you? Why are we doing this on money? It's the same question. And I use the word money, not abundance, not wealth, because we get all squiggly. So I'd rather them get squiggly in the room with me and let's see. And, and what would happen a lot of times, the reason people would come in because they're at a point of pain and they're struggling and they realize they need help or they're hoping. And it's usually the people I specialized in were people that um, had a lot of, were not, um, well, what's the best word? They tried many things that didn't work. And so sometimes they were almost losing hope in their relationship with money, or they're seeing future generations make the same mistakes they made. And they, they realize, I don't want to echo that out anymore. So they, they come to this point where they're wanting to make a shift of some sort. Those were people that I specialized in. And in our first conversation, I would ask them, you know, what are you looking to achieve? What, what are we, why are you, why are you here <laughs> essentially? And I'd let them share and I would listen and take really good notes because a, frequently they would start sharing all the things they did wrong and didn't work and there was emotion and there's feeling and after a while they were doing this and not making eye contact anymore and they were saying all these I'm this way I'm terrible with money I can't do this I can't do that and I would stop them and say you know I, I hear you saying these phrases that you're terrible with money, that you've done all these horrible things, you can't save, da 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 da, whatever it is, and these judgments. And I said, and I'm here to support you. We're in this together. And I want you to know that's not coming from me. What I see is someone that's being courageous, that's willing to face an area that is uncomfortable. You're willing to learn. And I want you to know we can shift this together. You're not alone in this. But I want to encourage you to not beat yourself up over things you don't know. You just haven't had someone come beside you. So we can't go back in time, but we can go forward. Yeah, absolutely. So going forward, what is it you want to build and why? And we'll get there and we'll keep asking why. What does, what does money mean to you? And sometimes people haven't ever really looked at that and answered that 
question. If I have a couple, I'll have the one that doesn't usually share as much go first, and the other one's not allowed to share <laughs> one at a time, but I want them to witness and listen. And I will remind them if, if they need that reminding. And we go through, and, and what does money mean to you if it means freedom or whatever it means to them? Why, why do you want it? Well, what does freedom mean to you? And then what does that mean to you? And at some point they're gonna get a little irritated with me because this is an area that's uncomfortable. It's hard to dig into. We're not used to talking with me, but I hold the space. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be a little uncomfortable. It's okay to let them be a little uncomfortable. Let's do it in a safe space and, and have them go until we get to the point that they get to feeling, it makes me feel this way. That's ultimately what any plan needs to do. That's what the book needs to do. That's what the business needs to do. It needs to be building towards that. It makes me feel this way. Great, positive, successful, whatever that feeling is. And that's the thing we measure everything by. So as we're building this together, does that make you feel more this way or less? Less than we need to adjust it. And then we would do that for the other person, the other couple or the single person. And what I find with couples is frequently you attract the opposite, a saver and a spender or this or that. But when we get into no fingers, no pointing, (laughs) that's typically what I see. (laughs) But what I find is when we get to the core, we're actually on the same page. Yeah. And so we can witness that we can remind each other, paying for college, don't pay for college. Like we can get into that. And when we understand why, then we're able to have a different conversation and move things forward. It's the same thing with our businesses. It's the same thing in, as a speaker. It's the same thing when you're bringing your message forward, when you're bringing your book forward, you want to be clear on what your why is and how that's making you feel and what you're doing and bringing to the world and doing that next step, whether it's publishing a book or it's speaking on stage or having a podcast, is that moving you closer in your plan to feel more that way to build the life you want to build? And that is gold. Yeah. Golden. Because <laughs> I never, like, and I'm one of those people that um, I'm, like, I'm, I'm very analytical. So I, I like the analytical side of money and investing, and I like the numbers and stuff like that. But um, I hardly ever get into how such and such makes you feel and I feel like that was such a blessing for me you just saying that because like I was like oh I mean people ultimately they will do what makes them feel better or do what makes them feel good in the uh, in the long run and even in the short run too and just mapping a plan around that I think that's brilliant and I think that will help many different consultants and many different types of advisors because I feel like sometimes we have all this knowledge and we have the plan but there's a lot of times where the the hard part isn't the plan it's getting the people to adhere to a plan the your clients to adhere to a plan in order to get where they want to be and that point where you made about um couples attracting that on a surface level they're very very different but at the core uh they're also very similar um that's something that i've experienced personally uh in my own relationship because on a surface level we're very different but all of our core values are like really uh, aligned and pretty much the same so when you said that i was like man this is so true i like and i never really thought about a lot of these things so i thank you for that so sure. this this information is so great. And is this how you walk your clients? Like, do you walk them through this process? Like when you're helping them, um, like coaching them on writing the book or publishing it? Yeah, we always go back to why, um, because I want to know what their vision is for the book. What are they trying to achieve? Um, sometimes they're ready to go into that place of the emotional on deeper levels. Sometimes it's a little bit later on. Um, everyone has a little bit different journey in in that. But what's so um, sacred to me in the journey of bringing a book forward, it's so intimate. And to have experts, influencers, leaders, trust me in that space, face their themselves in their writing 
and what their fears are and what they're worried about and what is true and what isn't, what do we need to shift? How can we make them shine is a really special journey. And uh, I just, I am so honored to be able to be in that space and be that safe place and be that one that can help them really shine and share what they're called to share in a way that has the impact that they're wanting to have. And they're also getting support with the fears because I can tell you on the journey, there are some places that can be very vulnerable, can be very um, scary and intimate. What if I bring this forward and no one leans in? What if this happens? What if that? The scariest moment sometimes for an author, one of them, because there's a few, but one of them is right before it's launched on the world. And we launch books, we, we do best-selling campaigns. We want their message, their book to be seen and heard. And they're the star and the central figure of that. So they can carry that message forward. That's, that's how we set it up. And yes, they're excited to launch it, but they're very fearful because how are people gonna react when they read their book, their baby? Are they gonna receive it? Or are they gonna have a different response to it? And so there are things we do along the way and the truth we remind them of will usually help them get reviewers. And the reviewers I recommend are not gonna write a review they don't mean. They will politely decline. So if they write it, they mean it. Yeah. And so I remind the authors, read those reviews. Those are truth. The rest of that, are that's just noise. Those are voices. Those are not truth. That's fear. Remind yourself of the truth. Remember your purpose. And we would not set you up to fail. We're setting you up for success. You can lean on what we brought forward. This is an amazing book. Let's launch it and do it proudly and excitedly and share the, the words that you have created. Um, in a way that reaches as many people as possible. That's awesome. It is. So how did you actually go from uh, being kind of like a financial advisor to being a publisher? Is this something that you are like, did you start off kind of like doing both or do you do more so the publishing now? Like how did, how did that really uh, come to be? Sure. Um, it, it was not the journey I expected. Um, I had people coming to me that were wanting me to start telling my story. And as a financial advisor, that's not what we do. We don't talk about that stuff. I don't want to relive and share painful things that are so far in the past. Um, I didn't want to go there, but I felt like God kept prompting me, kept asking me, kept wanting me to share I'm newly married about six months in the financial practice after all the ups and downs like had reached this point. I could just see the cruising altitude. I could just see my future right. laid out. So sharing my story was not part of that. And so I told God all the reasons why I wasn't qualified. I'm not the right one. I don't talk about that. All these things. And then I gave a list of all the other people I felt were more qualified. I don't know if you've ever had those conversations with God, but I do. And I told all the other people, here's the list and I can give you a backup list. And here's some alternates. And they kept coming back. And then he started playing which I didn't think was very fair, but these moments on my healing journey back to me. And I used to make these deals with God and I had forgotten a mean, hard, horrible thing you're asking me to do. Share the truth or take this stand or, or step in this space. I said, if you can make a difference for another, if it can help another little girl have an easier path, not suffer like I did, not be hurt the way I was. If it can make a difference, I will do this. I will be scared. I will be uncomfortable. I will do this. So I would take the step and give me that courage because I cared more for others than myself. Yeah. It took a long time to care for myself too. And every step along the healing journey, he was playing that over and over all those tapes in my head, all those recordings. And I just felt like that wasn't very fair. Um, and I, finally said okay god nine months of this okay god tears you know down my face i said okay i will do this mean hard horrible thing you're asking me to do i'll share my story yeah. if it's it can make a difference and it's not more than 50 people at a time i don't write books i don't want to do anything with writing um no more than 50 people in a room i don't think i can connect with more than that i don't know about the offer thing so um You'll have to handle that, whatever that is. No pictures, no filming, no recording. Um, and you, you make everybody come because I don't even know how to get them in the room. Let's go change the world. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. 
And, and I felt like God came back to me and said, Rebecca, this isn't something with boundaries or contingencies. It's a very simple question. Will you go where I call you to go and share what I call you to share or not? The choice is yours. Yes or no. Choose. Wow. And I said, okay, God, I say yes, but I really hope I don't have to. And I listed everything again and I added television to that. I don't want to do anything with television either. Um, And the thing when I look back on that moment is no one was asking me to do any of those things. They were the scariest things I could imagine so that I could use them to say no to. I was just having people ask me to start telling my story. That's all. Yeah. But I made it this big, scary, hard thing. But it was also one of those, I knew if I said yes, this was a permanent yes. There was no going back. There's no shifting and changing. Within three months, I was on a stage in front of 300 people live streamed. So we can just check some of those boxes off. Yeah. I had two book deals in the works. One went on to become an international bestseller and all these different platforms that led to television and radio and all these other things. And a TV interview I'd felt kind of tricked and pressured into. I thought God was being kind of sneaky on that one. And I remember taking the stage and eyeing the exit. If I needed to leave the stage at any moment, I knew the fastest, most graceful, easiest way out the doors. (laughs) (laughs) I did. And I had seven minutes to share my story. And I remember all of this. And I remember looking at that. And there's shift, there was a shift in me. I realized, you know what? I give myself permission to keep myself safe. If I need to leave, I will. But every 30 seconds I choose to be here, I'm choosing to be here because I know there's someone in this room that needs what I have to say. And I shared, I don't even know what I shared anymore other than I shared my story. And I cried and I was out of my body and I was shaking. I got a standing ovation I never saw because I just wasn't even connected. But I knew with every ember of my being that someone needed what I had to say and it would make a difference. So I did it, got off the stage and there were a lineup of men and women that started sharing with me that they were the one. And then the next person said, Rebecca, thank you. I was the one. So I must've said that in my presentation and it kept going and the line seemed endless. I know it wasn't, but it seemed endless to me. And then it shifted to where they started saying, Rebecca, I could tell you were scared. So obviously it didn't hide it but you cared enough about me to do it anyway. And I needed this today. Thank you. That inspires me. And I'm going to go do this. And it continued and it continued. And I remember the lesson I learned was that I didn't have to be perfect. I just had to be willing and I could leave the rest up to God. Yeah. I just had to be willing and take the steps. So that was my beginning. It was a hobby on the, I thought it was a one-time thing, which obviously it it became more. And so I started in speaking and doing um, events kind of on the side where I would hold events, talk as a financial advisor, I'd wear that hat. And then I would switch because you always have to keep it very clear when you're an advisor, when you're not with licensing. Mm -hmm. And I I had like a scarf that signaled one thing and then I would take (laughs) off the scarf. Now we're not an advisor. (laughs) And I would share the personal side and that, and that journey. And it kept growing. And then people were wanting to hire me. So I had to figure out coaching packages and to coach them. And then they wanted training programs. So I started creating those and it became bigger and bigger. And it got to this point where both could not continue. And I had to choose. And I kept trying to ride the wave of both. And one, and they would just stay at this place. And so I wrestled and I decided, and I really prayed about it. And what finally helped me make the decision, because I had to do it before I could see the whole path that I already had planned for the financial world. Like we, we talked about that, I had the path. And I needed to um, be willing to make the shift without knowing the path, just like when I shifted into starting my own practice. I could see some of the things we could do. And I knew speaking and training and coaching, like I could do some of those things. I got certifications and, and all of that to, to support people in that. And what finally helped me make the decision was the financial world used some of me. And I kept feeling like I was coming up against edges. Like I couldn't fully spread my wings. I kept bumping against the edges and felt restricted and restrained and, and couldn't necessarily do all that I wanted to do. Whereas in this other world, it used all of me And I didn't run into those edges and I could unfold my wings and really see where they would go. And that's how I made the decision and I made the shift and what ended up unfolding 
as the speaking continued, we started the speaker talent search where we help people um, get on more stages, reach more people, because I learned people need more than my voice. They need many voices. And that's how we can make a global difference. It's coming together. It's helping experts reach the people that need their voice their way. And when we do that together, it's incredible what can be done. And it read to television and then our own television network. And then I had a publisher come to me and they wanted to write my story. They wanted to publish my story, which was a huge honor. Oh my goodness. Yes. Thank you. And then I sat with that. I thought, wait a minute, is that really what I want to do and why? And what I discovered when I stopped, paused and really went in is I thought, you know, that's exciting, but my heart is bringing many people together. I would actually rather do that. And I think it can make a bigger difference. So yeah. I went back to the publisher. <laughs> I said, hey, thank you. I'm so honored. This could be a little bit gutsy, but I did. And I just said, you know, what I think would be even better, <laughs> smiled really big, is what if we could bring many stories forward, many people forward, so that we can touch as many lives as possible, not just with my message, but with lots of people's messages. Can we do that instead? And they said, yes. So I got to compile, lead my first anthology, which became a um, number one international bestseller. I mean, it hit all these different places. I had been part of them for a lot. I've probably been part of 12 at that point. So I had strong opinions about what I thought were the best um, packages for anthology. So I choose my favorite parts and put that together into the package I offered to people. And when I designed it, I, um, it was going to be my big offer at my event coming up. And by the time we got to the event, I only had two spots left. I wasn't even really promoting or sharing in a big way. So I learned I probably hadn't charged quite the right price. <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> you know, and secondly, there was a a demand and a desire for people to come together in this way. So I learned a couple things in that and we brought it forward. I learned so many things and I discovered I really loved leading projects like that. So I continued to do anthologies. They continued to become bestsellers. And then I had people coming to me saying, Rebecca, I want you to do what you do for anthologies from my story. I need to bring my story forward. I trust you. I see your process. I want to do that for my own book. And I said, I don't do that. Let me go introduce you to my publisher. That's what they do. That's, I'm not a publisher. That's what they do. And I kept doing that. I kept doing that. And then one person in our first conversation, which was kind of bold, says, Rebecca, I don't want to be introduced to your publisher. I know publishers. I'm asking you to not pass me to somebody else, but instead really consider helping me do this the way you do it. Wow. And I was like, oh. So then I got off and I, I kind of sat with it a little bit. And sometimes God comes to me and I say no first. I don't know if anyone else does that. But when I actually think, well, maybe I should check in and ask, I get a different answer sometimes. And so I checked in and then I thought, well, maybe I can get the publisher on the phone with this person and they'll just fall in love and we're good. I don't need to do it, right? I can softly slink back. <laughs> And I called my publisher to get her in on the, the conspiracy, you know, how we're going to do this, the plan. And she goes, you know, Rebecca, you should be doing this. Mute me. She goes, I'm not taking any more of your referrals. You should be doing this. It's the same thing you do. You've taken it to an art form with what you do with your anthologies. It's the same thing, just more chapters. You, you do this. I'm not taking any more. I said, well, I don't have the team. She goes, use mine. I, I don't know how long it takes. Here you go. I don't have a contract. Here you go. I mean, I had no excuse that she couldn't meet. Okay, fine. I'll keep thinking about it a little bit. So I eventually said yes. And I, we we're going to take on seven people. And that was in 2018. So in 2018, we ended up publishing, launching, bringing forward 13 books. They all became bestsellers. We discovered we loved it. We outgrew our teams, had to bring in new teams and create a whole new 
system and process, which we did. And so 2019, I believe we brought forward around 26, 27 books that have all launched as bestsellers. We're so honored and excited to, to bring them out in the world. And for 2020, we're looking at around 40-ish that, that we're going to be bringing forward. So that's kind of how we stepped into it. And I learned in the team building that I can bring in experts. I can play to my genius of bringing the vision forward, supporting people through the process and helping um, them as a publisher and as a reader really shine in what they're looking to do and then tap into graphic designers. So that's what they do all day long and they love it. And that's the quality they bring. I am not an editor. So we bring in amazing editors. Yeah. That's what they do and love to do. I didn't have to be an expert at all of it, but I could tap into years of experience and expertise and then bring that team to my people. That is amazing. That Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. And um, one of the, the, key things that I've been picking up on like along your story is that you always had a plan but then you were flexible with God's plan because that was like your plan wasn't to become like a publisher and have all these bestsellers helping other people do that you thought you were just going to be in the financial industry for so long and it's really funny that uh we're on this podcast today talking about this because uh, right now we're fasting with our church doing the uh, mm. prayer and fasting and today's devotional yeah. was about leaving room for God to make the changes in your life so you writing your plan in pencil and giving God the eraser and yeah. just allowing him to do his thing pretty much <laughs> yeah. and that's what I heard a lot while I was listening to your story and I really appreciate you sharing that absolutely and and I and I don't know that I was always easy in handing over that eraser. Because <laughs> yeah. I do get very committed to my plans <laughs> and to bringing them forward. And I would even sometimes say, okay, God, here's blueprint set one. Here's blueprint set two. Here's plan three. Which one do you want? Make it happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> Here are my five options. And, and I feel like sometimes he'd say, that's nice, Rebecca. Are you ready to listen? And then he would take all those plans, I can hear the rustling of papers and then you take them and set them to the side. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And I even had a speech coach do that for me. I hired, um, so when I made this commitment, I'm going to do this speaking thing. I felt like I had certain things about me that would not be a professional speaker. So those needed to be fixed. You know, sure, God is all seen and can, you know, do anything, but I knew these things needed to be fixed. And so I hired a speech coach that was one of the largest investments I've made. It included travel, all of that. And I remember traveling down to Southern California to go to this um, speech coach and they'd worked with like Drew Barrymore, Maroon 5 and, you know, all that, that kind of caliber, the chipmunks even, you know, all of that, that kind of voice talent. Mm -hmm. And here, and I made a list because this was a big investment while I was on the plane. I reviewed my list. This is the blueprint. Here's the plan. This is what needs to be fixed. The thing at the very top of the list was my laugh. My laugh had to be fixed, not professional kind of quirky and funny and it's it's loud and people can hear it I just it doesn't it's not it's not professional as a speaker it needs to go and I as an advisor I always try to lower my voice a little bit and not be quite as animated and and that kind of thing so that um, I could be perceived professionally kind of in in the market and so I remember going to him and he listens to me as I go through with great feeling and care about everything he needed to fix with me. I'm telling the expert how to, how to do his job. Yeah. And he was very graceful. And I remember him taking the list from me. And he goes, Rebecca, great. He sets it down. And I went, oh, this looks familiar. And he goes, Rebecca, I think you're a little confused about some things. Now you're in the financial world. I said, yeah. He goes, I want to share something with you. He goes, you're familiar with assets and liabilities. Yes, I get assets and liabilities. I'm like, I understand this language. And he goes, great. He goes, when you have something that people remember about you, they associate with you, that they lean into, it's contagious. It draws them in. It becomes associated with your brand that's an asset. He goes, that's where your left falls. That's an asset. 
mm-hmm. makes people smile. It draws them in. If anything, you should be doing that more, not less. He goes, a liability is something that interferes with your message. If you have an accent that's so strong that they can't quite hear you, the people you're trying to reach, then you want to work on that a little bit. If you have some sort of a tick that is doing the opposite, you know, physically from what you're saying, that interferes with your message. Those are the things to work on. He goes, the laugh is not, that's an asset. And I remember the shift in me. Wow, I can actually be more me. And that's a good thing. I can share more of my facets, all the different ones, not just what I think a professional speaker is, losing our texture, (laughs) losing who we are, how we can touch the world and bring it forward. And so many people, when I call them after it's been a while, reconnect, they go, oh, there's the laugh. I miss that. And I never told them the story. So he was telling the truth. And I think so often we try to lose parts of ourselves because of what we think we're supposed to be. And I always remember that plane in us. And, and I always think about God, that we're made the way we are on purpose to reach the people we're called to reach. Yeah. And we're doing ourselves and them a disservice by trying to hide some of those unique and special things about us. And I remember as I came back, I was on a stage and then I shared the story. And for the first time I, when I laughed, I actually heard my grandmother's laugh echo in it. And I realized that was actually a gift she had given me that I could never hear because of how I looked at it. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's so powerful. That is. So do you, when you're coaching um, like authors to write their books, um, is this something that you see like they they try to do also like, do they sometimes try to take away like their personality to try to be like an author? <laughs> like we have this stereotype in our head, which is not even true about <laughs> what an author is or what we need to do or more is better or um, we don't want to get personal, but that's what people connect with is the personal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we're sharing, I tell people it's safe, just share. Don't worry about um, what the final product is going to look like. We'll get there. But right now, let's tap into everything that's being called to share. Let's pull that together. Let's start looking at it and seeing. And then I'll read it and I review it from a content perspective. And I look at, is this serving the reader? Is it serving the author? Do we need to shift it a little bit to honor the voice, but have it serve on a higher level? How do we do that where we're sharing the pieces that are going to serve all the parties that we're trying to support? And that's the reader and the author that is creating this. And then all the different things they're looking to do with that. So it's, and then part of that I learned in one of my first anthologies, I had a ghostwriter because I, I didn't know how to write. I didn't know how to do any of that. That was my story. Um, and so I hired, I, I got a ghostwriter to help me write. It was one chapter. And I just shared everything because I didn't know what they needed to know. I need names, like everything in my journey. And I clearly told them, I don't, it's not about what happened. It's about no matter what happens, we can always choose what we decide to echo forward. We always have that choice, no matter what has happened to us. That's what the story is about. It's not about who did what and when and how it's, and I said, but I'm sharing everything because I don't know what you need to know to craft the chapter. So I got the chapter back and it was the opposite. It read like a Hollywood movie script with this and drama and that and name names, like everything that I just (laughs) said, no, I don't want. So somehow they missed that. No, don't do part. And I felt so violated and so um, horrified at this. But what it taught me is that isn't my voice. That's way over my boundary. So then what is my voice? What is my boundary? So I actually went in and wrote my whole chapter myself. And I went to the leadership team of that that book. And I just said, um, I will withdraw and pull out my chapter. I'm not okay with what's written. However, I said, I have crafted and written my own chapter. If this could be cleaned up and in its place, then I'm happy to continue and participate. And they said, yes. And if you ever 
read that chapter it's 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 a little rough it's not perfect it's my heart kind of finding my voice telling my story for the first time in the written word but that book changed the course of my life and helped me reach international audiences it helped me grow so much i got so much exposure i learned skills that i didn't know i had and i also learned what it's like to instantly be thrust into visibility and not know how to handle it there was a, a big conference and I, I, and I'm an introvert, so I recharge alone as much as I love people. I, I, I need that alone time. And this big conference with thousands of people and they were having us on stage as authors of this book and, and the elevator going up and down all these floors, we were supposed to wear this little button that I'm an author of, and then we were signing books and everything. So I remember half the time wearing the button, the other half of the time not going up in my room, hiding and recentering, and then going back down. How do I sign books? You know, all these things that it was such a foreign world for me. And I remember that whenever I work with an author, because I know what it's like to to step into those spaces for the first time. What do you do with a book signing? Uh, you know, and how? What do you write, or how do you prepare for that? Because you can't write a full page every person personalized when there's a line. It doesn't yeah. work. And you can't just, you know, create it on the spot. So how do you, how do you, how do you do that? And how do you find your balance in the visibility so that you can really shine? So we look at all of those different things in an author's journey, because the story doesn't end when the book launches. That's like the launch in the beginning yeah. of where it can go for visibility message. And, and then, and that's after the creation journey. But we tried to support them all along the way because I just found in all the different projects I was part of, that was a struggle for me sometimes. I didn't feel like that support was always there. Or if it was, I didn't hear it yeah. in the way it was it was given. Yeah, exactly. And just so our viewers are clear, I wanted to ask this like 25 minutes ago, but it, I, like, <laughs> the story got so good. This is, you are an excellent speaker. Like, we haven't even gotten to our first question, technically. So wow, I'm that's amazing. thinking that we have to have you on for a part two. Yes, for sure. To talk more about the publishing side, because this time we really dug deep into like your story and a little bit about um, how to go about writing a book, like the mindsets behind yeah. um you know, taking the first step to even write like a page. <laughs> so we'll talk about the really technical stuff on the part two, but I wanted to make sure before we got off that I asked you exactly what an anthology is because I never heard the word before, but I'm picking up some context. I have an idea, but I didn't know exactly what the, you know, actual definition of what an anthology is because it sounds very interesting. I'm so glad you asked that um, because it is a term that I didn't know either when um, I started hearing it for, for the first time and was leaning into it. So um, an anthology is where multiple authors are coming together. Usually it's where they're each writing a chapter, but sometimes in a, a daily inspiration type of book, they might be writing an inspiration or a section. Um, sometimes they'll call it a compilation. So they'll use those terms interchangeably, but an anthology is multiple authors coming together, uh, each contributing under a common theme. And then the leader of that project is called the compiler. And so they're compiling and bringing together the project. And so a lot of the books, if you look on the covers of an anthology, it'll say compiled by and have that author's name or that leader's name. Mm -hmm. And so that's... that's so yeah, so that's kind of what that term means and how it's listed versus an author. So an author is the one that contributed. The compiler is the leader of that vision and brings that book forward. So good question. I'm glad you asked because I don't want anyone um, not understanding what we're saying. <laughs> I think that's important. Because I mean, we meet tons of awesome people on the podcast. I could just start putting together anthologies right. all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah. That's amazing. It is. And, and I, you know, they're addictive. So I just want to warn you. So um, I found I was going to do one and I wasn't sure I was ever going to do them again. Now I do two to three of them a year and continue to do that. It's such an honor to lead a vision like that forward. And the voices, when they come together, it's magical. Every time it's different and it's so impactful. And then you combine each other's spheres of influence and share that out in the world. It's so powerful. 
that is extremely powerful. It seems like a great way to to get your voice out more without doing more work. Yeah. So it, it which I very, like. Very. <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very leveraged model, um, and it is um, monetizable. It's um, impactful, and when um, they're led powerfully it's amazing what can be created. And I feel like it, the synergy is far greater and it creates every book I find, at least when, when we're leaving them, what seems to happen is they all form a little community. Yeah. And then their community sees another community and they get to know each other and, and they're on this same journey together and cheering each other on. And um, I just, I, I love leading them. I think they're so powerful. And especially as, as podcast hosts, you know, you're leading and in touch with all many, so many experts and influencers it's a it's a great thing to consider yeah definitely in my very biased opinion (laughs) well Well, i i agree yeah i agree (laughs) so um we want to you know start signing off in order to respect your time uh just because you've gave you've given us more value than we could have even asked for like the questions that we have (laughs) suck compared to what we actually ended up talking about (laughs) so it was like um we really really appreciate everything you've done but what is uh I would say like one of the number one takeaways that you would want somebody to get from this podcast episode whether it's from you know being in corporate America being a financial advisor with your own practice or when it comes to being seen or writing a book what's the number one takeaway you would want somebody to get be willing to reach to where your people are. So whether you're in corporate America or you're um, building your own practice or business or whatever it is that you're called to bring forward, be willing to look at where your people are and go there. Build the bridge to them. Don't wait for them to discover you. And that's a really good one because I was uh, talking to somebody the other day and she has an interior design business and um, she was talking to a lot of, uh, realtors about, you know, how obviously staging could help increase the value of, you know, the, you know, the, the houses that they would sell. And I told her, like, I don't know how that's working out for you. However, there's real estate investors that would care even more about staging because they already have to, you know, put thousands of dollars into it anyway. What's another you know, small fee to get you to stage the property to get way more money out of it. And I, t- I kind of told her to go there. So that's related to what you're talking about, uh, building the bridge to uh, the people that where you, uh, that you, you want to share your message with, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, just kind of just marketing and, and then hoping that they come to you. I think mm-hmm. that's a brilliant piece of information, even, even for myself, because, you know, I find myself sometimes waiting for certain things to come to me and there's bridges that I could have been building the whole time to meet them where they're at. And I think that's an excellent piece of information. Absolutely. Yeah. Another yeah. question. Oh, did you want to ask? Yeah. So, so you are on the Abundant Culture Podcast and we have to ask every guest that comes on, how do you spread abundance, whether that be in your life, in your personal life or your business life? I think we have opportunities every day to spread abundance to, and I think abundance, a lot of that comes through um, echoing out what matters most to us. We have opportunities to do that in how we choose to spend our time, how we choose to spend our energy, how we choose to interact with others. Are we building into our life those things that matter to us? We have opportunities every time we go to the grocery store to uh, make a connection, to echo forward something that matters to us. When we're in the line and technology goes sideways, are we the one that's echoing out frustration and anger (laughs) or are we echoing out patience and humor and really taking a stand? And we can do that in every thing that we do animals because it's animal lovers what are we doing in our life to um, build that connection bring that in um, to our lives because every day we're making choices and those daily choices add it to our year to our our month to our lives we're building it one step at a time one choice at a time 
Absolutely. I love it. So if somebody wants to um, talk to you about maybe publishing their book or maybe talk to you about, you know, doing an anthology or, you know, speaking on stages and sharing their vision, their story, their mission, what it is that they do, how would that person uh, get in contact with you or your company? Sure. The um, holder of all information is our website. <laughs> if awesome. you go to yourpurposedrivenpractice.com, yourpurposedrivenpractice.com, you'll find a form that you can fill out just to reach out and schedule a private time to talk. You'll find how you can follow us on social media and you'll find a lot of information. And we have um, a lot of resources that are available that um, can support you on your journey. So I encourage you to check it out, have fun on the site, and hopefully I look forward to hearing from you and connecting on a deeper level. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, thank you again for this wonderful conversation. Um, this was truly a great episode. Yes, for sure. <laughs> We always know it's a very good episode when we don't finish all our questions. Yeah. It's very good. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's just been an honor and a pleasure, and I look forward to part two. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Rebecca. So that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you got as much value out of this as we did. Keep in mind, the only way we can improve is through constructive feedback. So remember to rate and review this episode. Also, you are not the only person that needs to know this super valuable information. So be sure to subscribe and share as well. Stay tuned for the next episode. And remember to always spread abundance. Peace.